0: Charlie Melcher, founder of The Future of Storytelling. It's my pleasure to welcome you to The FOSS Podcast. If this is your first time listening, I'm so glad to have you with us. And if you're someone who's listened to and enjoyed the show before, thank you for your continued support. We'd appreciate it if you'd consider leaving us a positive rating on your podcast platform of choice. When most of us think of play... We think back to childhood, when we were free and uninhibited and our limitless imaginations transformed us into superheroes, magicians, and space explorers. As we grew older, however, play was replaced with the responsibilities and pressures of adulthood. Stuck in our roles and patterns, we became disconnected from the possibility of experimentation and growth. Experiences like live-action role-playing games, also known as LARPs, Dungeons & Dragons, and Freeform Immersive Theater have seen tremendous growth in popularity in recent years, in part because they provide the safe place that we long for, where exploration, discovery, and even transformation are possible. Our guest today, Dr. Sarah Lynn Bauman, is a world expert on role-playing games. She's an associate professor for the Department of Game Design at Uppsala University in Sweden, a respected writer, game designer, and organizer of gatherings like the Living Games Conference. I'm excited to have her with us today because I feel her insights and knowledge are relevant to any marketer or storyteller who's looking to create meaningful experiences for their customers and fans. Please join me in welcoming Sarah Lynn Bauman to The FOSS Podcast. Sarah, welcome to the Future of Storytelling podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: So I'd love to hear you tell us a little bit about your background with live-action role-playing games and how this became something that you got involved in.
1: Sure. I mean, I started with online gaming, actually, um, playing text-based Dungeons & Dragons, essentially, um, with friends on the Internet. And um, I didn't go to my first LARP until I was 19. And I had taken an improv class, so I was really familiar and conversant and improv and somebody was like hey we're playing vampires down at this you know university would you like to join and and I was like oh it's like improv great and um, so I just basically would go and improv uh, and just ask people questions like, do you think Jesus was a vampire? You know, like just like really kind of <laughs> weird metaphysical questions. And I found out like several sessions in that there was this character sheet and all these rules and people were like throwing rock, paper, scissors at me. And I didn't really understand, you know, any of that. I was really just more immersed in the character. That was my start. Vampire role-playing is one of the most popular types of of both tabletop and LARP out there. Um, it came out in the early nineties. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that was my first, my first experience.
0: And was there a experience doing live action role playing that was really moving or super memorable for you?
1: It's really hard to pick one. I mean, people who LARP, it's almost like your life is in technicolor all of a sudden, you know, you're You're playing yourself, but you're also playing this character who's living this fictional world that you're co-creating at the same time. So everything's really focused and immersive, but it's really vivid and, and really like hyper real. And so, you know, there's several memories that come to mind as you're talking. I mean, one that is coming to mind the most is when I met my husband, uh, Shell Hedgard Kugels. Actually, I would known him for a while. We were playing, it was actually a a Nordic-style vampire LARP. You know, fast forward several decades later, a couple (laughs) decades later, and I'm in a Polish castle, and I'm dressed in this, like, you know, Renaissance gown, and, you know, he and I are, like, playing these characters that, are Lovers, but they haven't seen each other for 50 years because it's vampires, so everything's super epic, right? And, um, you know, they're kind of in this should we or shouldn't we you know, dynamic and finally they see each other and they're just captivated and, I, like, I could feel myself flinging against the wall just by, you know, pure eyesight just looking at each other and my purse fell to the ground and all these people were coming up to us, trying to interact with us, and we're like, no! And we, like, stayed in that moment. It was just so incredibly intense. It's like, you know, king and queen of this, like, twisted castle. <laughs> wow. um, and those are kinds of moments where it's almost like you... S- you see your soul kind of coming out in a way that we don't often get invited to interact in daily life. And a lot of LARPers are kind of chasing that experience over and over again and hoping it will happen
0: again. Those who don't know, what is a LARP, a live action role-playing game? Sure.
1: So it's basically spontaneous co-creative expression within uh, a bounded playfulness. So Like we're playing these fictional characters within this fictional setting and we can improvise, we can co-create with each other. It's very similar to theatrical improvisation where you maybe have a couple of prompts, but the rest of it is coming from you. But it tends to not have an audience, and it tends to be pretty serious. Even if it's a a fun LARP, you're still playing for several hours often, uh, or even days. So you're in that character and in that fiction for a long period of time.
0: Are there certain types of LARPs? Uh, I know you mentioned Nordic LARPing, for example. How does that differ from other countries?
1: It's very difficult to define Nordic LARP. And anytime we try, other Nordic LARPers are like, no, 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 that's not what that means. But for the sake of simplicity, it tends to be uh, very immersive experiences that don't have a lot of mechanics. Um, They tend to be focused on um, social realism. So Oftentimes, they're very serious themes, like being in a prison camp or being, you know, an immigrant waiting to get into a country uh, for asylum, for example, Um, and or playing out a certain period of history in a very, very socially realistic way. Like 1942 is a Norwegian LARP where um, they basically played a weekend of occupied Norway. So some people are playing the Germans and some people are playing the Norwegians and they're just role playing out what their grandfathers did, you know, and and they're reading these old stories and they're trying to faithfully recreate what life would have been like during that time. So it's not necessarily a big dramatic story. It's like smaller moments. Uh, There tends to be a, a, a strong social justice component, I would say, to Nordic LARP a strong emphasis on trying to understand things like oppression and marginalization and, um, you know, what's at the core of democracy and how do we foster that in people?
0: What would a person in the U S have as the, one of their first examples of doing a LARP or something that they could reference?
1: Well, Nordic LARP is, is, uh, already a little bit on the avant garde, even for, larp in the nordic countries which is often fantasy based um you know playing in the woods or post-apocalyptic that kind of thing so actually quite similar as you would find in in the u.s u.s larp in general tends to be a lot more mechanics heavy so even if you're both playing a fantasy larp if you're in sweden it's probably a lot more realistic fantasy if that makes sense you're not calling out numbers when you're hitting people with a foam sword you're like you know, kind of like imagining what it's like to be an elf, I guess.
0: And uh, do most people really dress the part?
1: It very much varies from LARP culture to LARP culture. The very first LARP I ever went to, I actually didn't play in. Uh, I was 16 years old, and it was... A bunch of people out in the park just hitting each other with swords and sometimes they might have a tabard on that's made out of like bed sheets. I mean like very 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 basic costuming and that LARP is called Amp Guard and it's a highly popular in several different countries all over the world uh, sport. So it's more like a sports LARP than it is a uh, you know, being immersed in your character and having these deep, powerful experiences and having the perfect costuming. You know, the costuming is there to kind of signal what side you're on, maybe. The issue with trying to make any sort of generalization is there's always an exception to the rule, right? So there's always going to be a group in the middle of, you know, New England that's doing some really intense, amazing fantasy role playing with like really, really high costuming Uh, requirements and really amazing props that maybe I don't even know about, you know, but but certainly the stereotype of American LARP is that it tends to not be as high production values. And a lot of that is class based. You know, a lot of people who get drawn into these activities um, don't necessarily have the resources for that. So there's a sort of connotation around that that they're not doing, you know, real play. But Honestly, like the play is occurring in the mind. The costuming and all that helps you to get into the character, but it's it's not necessary. I've played incredibly intense games on my living room floor with no
0: costuming whatsoever, so it varies. And have you seen the popularity of LARPing grow?
1: I I definitely think it is. Um, There's a lot more media coverage of role-playing games in general, like Stranger Things. They have tabletop role-playing on that show. And so a lot of young people are getting exposed to um, role-playing in a way that's not uh, the satanic panic, you know, like it was in the 80s when, you know, some of us were still alive or alive back then, uh, where there was a lot of stigma around it. It's 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 a little bit better now, and um, people aren't necessarily having these connotations attached to it. LARP is it absolutely exploding in China in the last few years, uh, since around 2015. In China, they they have what's called jubensha, which stands for script kill, which is a period. Uh, but it's basically murder mysteries. They have 30,000 or more. It's, it might be close to 65,000 studios right now that are doing these murder mystery style games or similar. Some of them are historical dramas. It just you know, in the last few years has completely exploded and become a commercial medium in ways that in the West, we haven't really seen it uh, yet take
0: off. What do you think people are getting out of participating in LARPs?
1: I think that people feel really powerless in life. I think the way that the reality is set up, it's, it's a little bit brutal. <laughs> it lacks consent. A lot of the time, um, even when we feel like we have a lot of choice, oftentimes our path has been set, determined for us in very specific ways, you know, socioeconomic class, race, gender, you know, where we grew up, who our parents were, um, what schools we went to and what they they, you know, taught us. And I, I'm an instructor like I, I teach at the university level. I'm part of that machine you know, the idea of being able to go to a wizard school and play a professor that is actually really bad at her job, uh, or, you know, uh, who can affect reality with, you know, a a wand, that's a very different kind of experience than even I experience in in the classroom. So, uh, and that's really fascinating, too, when somebody like me who (laughs) spends a bunch of money to go pretend to be a professor in a wizard college, you know, what's that about? Like, I could do that at home, you know, maybe. But I would say analog role-playing games give the most uh, creative agency out of all of the types of games and even stories out there. Fiction writing can give a lot of agency, but it doesn't have the co-creative element so much. Fan fiction is interesting because people create and then they respond to each other's creations. And sometimes they'll create in response, but it's not usually at the same time. You know, like... And and that that is a, a a very exciting kind of state to be in, I would say.
0: I would put forth that I think LARPing is going to become you know very big in part because this intense shift that we are living through from unidirectional media, where everything used to be one way and we had no choice but to passively consume it. To an age now with the internet and, and games where people expect to have a role to play and are just actually coming into their own with that sense of comfort in, in being able to co-create and have that agency. You know, Maybe now you get uh, attention for posting a good social media video. Eventually, I believe um, very strongly that people will gain social status for being really good at improv acting. So I really see larping as the vanguard of this new era that we're entering of the people formerly known as the audience <laughs> becoming the actors that we're going to really start to celebrate you know not just celebrities who are in movies that are fixed but our fellow players who are able to really bring unbelievable creativity and imagination and depth of their, of their character and their souls to the, the games, to the stories that they're going to live with others.
1: Mm. I hope that's true. I, I, want, I, I have so many things to say about what you just said. It's beautiful. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about is this idea of consensus reality that is, like I said, it's consen- It's called consensus, but it's not really consensual. A lot of it was predetermined for us. Keith Johnstone in the book Impro talks about this, how he had to train actors out of acting in order to improvise. Like he had to train them how to to unatrophy these muscles of creativity because they'd been beaten out of them. So even though they're technically playing, they're not really playing. They're actually doing this very studied, rehearsed, structured activity that is high stakes. Like if they get it wrong, then they lose their job, right? And I think society tends to force our creativity into these very narrow parameters and i think you're right that we are in this age where people can create in all different kinds of ways and and put it out there and actually get feedback and response from others but i still think there's this distrust around the the not real and i'm not sure that everybody is willing to go to the not real place um, I think a lot of people are very either suspicious or afraid of what might happen there, who they might be. It, often, like, I don't know how I would, you know, what if I embarrass myself? What if I don't know how to do it? What if, you know, because we, we always want to be so capable and, and show ourselves as, as socially capable. And part of what we're talking about here is that threshold of where somebody is willing to surrender and take a risk and just relying on strangers and allowing yourself to just be different, be outside of your social role. You know, some people just are, they get to that threshold and they, they, they're not ready to surrender and and maybe they never will. And then there are other people in psychology, we would call this openness to experience. It's one of the big five personality traits. I would say that people are drawn to all of these sort of activities on the spectrum probably have a tendency towards having that high openness to experience trait, where it's like, huh, yeah, I'll try that. And then oftentimes they'll try a related subculture and, a, you know, another group where they're slightly askew from the social reality that we call the quote unquote real world for whatever reason. But um, oftentimes there'll be these overlapping subcultures. Um, and often there's that, I think, that common element of, being curious about ways that that reality could be slightly different and 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 testing those those boundaries. Some people are deeply uncomfortable with that idea and much prefer to stay within the lane that they were given. I don't know if that's an orientation or if it's. I mean, I know it's socially conditioned, but I I I, I do think there's an orientation element to it.
0: One of the things that I think about when I think of and have done some role playing is that it leaves me realizing that the role that I consider to be my primary identity is also constructed right that it it gives me that opportunity to kind of have a mirror to what I think of as Charlie (laughs) um, as a day-to-day just put it in quotes right Charlie air quotes Charlie (laughs) and realize that for whatever reason, that is a role also, even though until you play another one, you might not think about that. I wonder if that's one of the things that's uh, a reward for people in doing these things is it, it gets them to question or see other decisions and other... Parts of personality that are constructed and, and just like a decision you make, you know, you make a decision like, oh, I'm going to be a faithful husband. Uh, I'm going to be a responsible business person. <laughs> I'm not somebody who, whatever, you, you, you know, you're making decisions and playing a role and you could, and some people make other decisions and play other roles.
1: It's like in The Matrix when Nia wakes up and he's like, fuck this. Right? Like, what's this? You know, like, I think there's an assumption that if we wake up to who we really are, that it's going to be awesome. But sometimes that's terrifying. It might have been easier to be asleep. I think that anybody who's willing to step out of a prescribed social reality is brave. But you don't have to push yourself to the edge in order to have that. And your edge is going to look different from my edge. It's about... Your relationship to your own being in the world and that that moment of deciding when you come back, that's agency. And even if it's deciding to go back to your previous social role, at least it was a decision. It wasn't something that you were forced into. It's something that you, you had that choice point. You had that moment. And you had things that you were afraid to lose. And that's fine. I, I I can't fully let go in LARPs because of my status. I don't feel like I can fully release. I don't feel like I can fully show the range of, of what's in me because people look to me with a certain expectation of the authority that I carry, right? And if I'm so too surrendered, if I'm not completely or even slightly in control of myself, I might say or do something that actually really harms someone or dispels an important projection that they have on me that is is—is something that they carry with them that helps them decide to go to academia, for example. I mean, that's a lot of weight to carry, you know, when you're a, a community leader. So I just want to, again, acknowledge that you even putting yourself in that situation and, and being in the inquiry of how far do I want to go, that's a powerful state.
0: I mean, it sounds amazing. It sounds all of a sudden as you said that i felt the weight of so many years of charlie be the good boy yeah. yeah you know this is what you're supposed to do this is how you're supposed to be in the world this is what you do to be successful and and you don't make those conscious choices even really right as you say it's kind of programmed in from school from uh society and then what happens when you can say, uh, hey, I can let go of all of that? And what would it mean to start <laughs> from scratch? Or how different would you be? And you
1: can still be the good boy when you're doing that. Like, it's just that you have a different set of agreements, social agreements now, where you're allowed to be the bad boy or whatever it is you're exploring, um, you know? And um, I'm stuck in my group, Good Girl, right now, big time, because I feel all of this weight of, my station, especially now that I'm stepping into a new job and I'm in a, a, you know, really old and traditioned university that has all this weight behind it, you know, and I feel like I have to uphold that somehow. Um, And yet I'm being asked to talk about play and I don't really have space for play in my life at all right now. So even as we're talking and I'm remembering and I'm trying to really be in what it felt like to be these characters, I'm like, why don't I do that more often? Why am I talking about it in that abstracted way? I think you and I are a lot alike, actually. We're the observers often, you know, and we're trying to make sense of it.
0: How transformative have these LARPs been for people? Do you see people show up, play a role that's completely different than their own, and then leave changed?
1: There are plenty of people who role-play that don't feel transformed at all by it, and that's totally valid. Like, it, I don't want to in, in any way negate their experience. Um, there are people that don't want to have a transformative experience. They want to have fun. They want to let off steam. They want to forget about reality for a while. That escapism, which I don't care for that word, but, but some people will claim it. They'll be like, I love to escape. It's like, okay, great. But I kind of take Tolkien's side in this. It's like, what are you escaping to? What are you finding there? What are you redeeming in yourself from these experiences? And that's the gold that I really want. It's less about the experience itself and more what happens after. So for example, probably the most profound experience I ever had was in a LARP called Just a Little Eleven, And this is a LARP about uh, the AIDS crisis in the 1980s. Um, and you play three days of um, three years of time Uh, in the early 80s, where they didn't know anything about the virus. And it's this very permissive kind of environment where everybody's role playing out, you know, hooking up and having these experimental like psychedelic, for example, experiences or tantra, or, you know, I should say neo tantra, you know, homoerotic experiences, etc. Um, And then they experience loss and grief and community healing. And then they do it again and do it again. I've played this LARP three times now and I've always played the same character. And the first time I played her, I was playing the, the Neo-Tantra uh, guide A a straight woman, one of the only straight characters in the LARP. Of course, that that becomes very nebulous very quickly in that game. Like (laughs) the starting point is straight, but like we said, you know, that's all a construct. So, Um, but uh, what I found in that character, what I was what I was wanting to find in that character was spiritual peace. You know, I have a tremendous amount of anxiety, and that is very difficult to manage. And it's getting, I think, it's getting worse as I get older, actually. And so yet I played this character who had answers, and she had states that weren't anxious. Um, doesn't mean she didn't have her issues, you know? Um, in a lot of ways, she was probably uh, more naive than me, uh, but uh, I played that character, and I was in this totally blissed-out state at the end of the LARP where... And this is going to sound weird, but I was ready to die. My character, we have to walk up this hill and, and you're kind of facing your own mortality. And she was totally pieced out. She was like praying to the goddess and saying, okay, on to the next incarnation, you know. And then we broke the LARP and they made us de-roll right away. And I lost it. All of my anxiety started crashing in. All of that, that quote unquote sarah that construct of me that I didn't even know I was, I was holding at bay. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm holding all the time. And so that's why I keep playing that character. And then I, I do the practices and I try to figure out, okay, what state ha- was she able to attain? Because that happened in my body. So I clearly can go there, right? And each time I played her, it became easier and easier. And, and I think that it's that practicing practicing different states of being so it's not just experiencing them once but actually in training in your body what it's like to be more brave or to be a leader or to be vulnerable or whatever it is feel more inner peace i think that is really the transformative power of these these kinds of
0: games yeah i love that i keep wanting to compare this now back to uh, some of the classic understanding of storytelling where people have learned from other characters. Like you read about a a character in a book and you have insight into how they see the world or you watch a a different character on a movie and you learn something about the world through their eyes. But it's very different than actually living in that character. Um, (laughs) You know, watching the character and learning something versus embodying the character and feeling something. And so I guess that seems to me to be also why uh role playing games and larping has such incredible opportunities for us to not just you know learn about different parts of ourselves but but perhaps also all sorts of other therapeutic or um almost you know health related <laughs> uh outcomes and uh, and and also perhaps in a whole category of empathy, right? Of just all of a sudden trying to really have access to understanding how someone very different from you um, sees and shows up in the world.
1: And then the challenge is, how do I go back to myself and the, the life that I was leading after having that insight, after taking that perspective and gleaning what I gleaned, which was probably quite overwhelming if you're going that deep, then who am I? And so what I'm really interested in is the integration pieces. Like, um, yes, the LARP is interesting, but what do we take with us? I think that's the key right there. Like, what am I distilling? What am I taking with me? And what is it like to instantiate, not just in my, you know, cognition, but in my body, like you're talking about? What does it feel like to have that embodied cognition of inner peace as this person? That's a much harder question. And how do I keep that state that I experienced there or some version of it, how do I keep returning to it without that frame that got me there? Because I never got there before. So some people leave it bounded in that space and they think they need to LARP in order to feel that. I started going to these weekend workshops where we just basically profoundly fuck with the idea of self, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) Where we're just like, okay, let's completely rewrite our scripts of who we are and see what happens. What if you were operating from a completely different set of precepts about the world? Like let's say I have this core belief that reality is dangerous, which I do. <laughs> I feel that way all the time. Like it, just even being in this room, I could potentially bump into something and you know hurt myself. Like that's kind of my my story about the world. But what if all of a sudden that wasn't the, the principle that I'm operating from. What would open up for me? And I think that's one of the places that LARP can get you. But it's not the only. It's not the only place you can go, and it's not the only place where you can find that. It's just one of these many windows into these altered states of consciousness that I'm, I'm really interested in, and these transformational communities that that hold space for those kinds of experiences, like, oh, we're all going to get into a circle and decide we're going to change ourselves today. That's amazing. What's going to happen? This is fascinating. <laughs> you know, um, I don't want to put LARP on this pedestal. like It's the only way to get to these deep insights. It's one medium of many. It just happens to be the one that I've been studying for a very long time. And I've, I have a lot of experience in my body of being in hundreds of different characters over the years. And different fictional, you know, I mean, that's, that's, most people don't get to even get outside their one self, or maybe they have multiples, they don't necessarily acknowledge that. But, you know, they they have very set parameters, you're holding these two precepts at the same time, you're holding the Eunice, and you're holding the character. And that's just a fascinating space to operate in.
0: Is there some hope that you have for the future of LARPing and how it might impact society?
1: Yes. Um, it's not so much about LARPing, but it's about learning the skills to co-create reality and to to consciously create ourselves. I think that, I think it's very clear that the world we've set up is unsustainable, uh, that the structures that we've built are, you know, at their, they're being challenged in some pretty significant ways. Um, and we make it to a point I'd say we're already at a point where we have to really make a choice about the world that we want to create out here. And um, a lot of people don't feel like they have the capability to do that. And what I think is is profound about LARP, going back to that agency, is realizing, oh, wow, I, I spilled that secret. And then the next day, all of this happened, like realizing just the tiniest little action can actually have tremendous impact. I'm not going to say LARP will save the world because that's I don't know if the world can be saved, quite frankly. No. <laughs> I, I don't mean to end this on a downer. Uh, but I think that we can redeem ourselves in who we choose to be at any given moment and how we choose to show up for this world that
0: we've created. And we have the power to recreate it in our image yes. in the way we want it to be. So that's a beautiful, beautiful message. Can't wait to do some LARPing together. <laughs>
1: yes, let's make it happen. Let's
0: make it happen. Let's not
1: get too too stuck in the good girl and good boy that we we don't indulge that inner child that didn't get to fully express themselves.
0: Sarah, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. And you as well. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably with me. Warm thanks to Sarah Lynn Bauman for being on today's podcast. To learn more about her research, please visit the links in the episode's description. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can stay updated on new episodes and become part of the Future of Storytelling family by signing up for our free monthly newsletter at FOST.org. The FOSS podcast is produced by Melcher Media in collaboration with our talented production partner, Charts and Leisure. I hope to see you again soon for another deep dive into the world of storytelling. Until then, please be safe, stay strong, and story on.